power of Calvary. You need to lift up your hands and defy the enemy tonight and say, God knows where I am. Hallelujah. He is faithful to me. And so I acknowledge him. I worship him and I praise him in the house of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Feels good in the house of God tonight. I'm thankful for God's goodness to us. Amen. Praise God. I want to preach to somebody tonight. Amen. I want to preach to myself tonight. Hallelujah. It's always fun. You have to preach to yourself before you preach to everybody else, and then you preach it again. Double whammy. You preach to yourself twice. So I'm going to preach to myself twice, and hopefully you will be blessed by this. Amen. You can be seated just for a moment. It's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight and to have everybody with us tonight. And on Monday night when we have started to pray, we pray and we take requests, which is good. But we don't leave until we give people an opportunity to talk about the good things of the Lord. You need to be thinking about that. Sometimes it's kind of radio silence. Amen. There's a few that always have something good. Even if you just say, I'm blessed of the Lord, you need to throw up your hand and say, you know what? I want to say something good. What is it? I'm blessed of the Lord. I may be going through a struggle and difficulty, but I am blessed of the Lord. Hallelujah. And that's a good thing to say. And so I'm blessed of the Lord. And so I want to talk about a few things here tonight that, that are blessings. Amen. Praise God. Sister Rena has tried to get a house. She has put in offers for 26 houses, and nothing came up. And there was one house that she really liked, uh, but she wasn't going to budge on the points. And the realtor gave up over $10,000 to pay the closing costs so that she could get the house. Amen. We thank God for that. Praise God. Praise God. God has blessed you, Sister Rena. Amen. God has blessed you. We're excited about that. We're also happy to have Joe with us here tonight. I did not know this, but Joe is Big Jim's younger brother. And then when I was talking to him, <clears throat> I did not know that Joe is the grandfather of Kirsten. Wow. <laughs> That's quite the link there. And he is a face. You know, sometimes people come and they say, you know, I got... <laughs> We need to be careful with this as well. Sometimes people will say, I got an aunt that's off in Mississippi and she's got a sore back and she's asking, we need to pray for her. And you don't know who she is, where she's in Mississippi. So we, we collectively, we pray for, for that, right? But be careful because sometimes God will put a face to that. And some time ago, Jim brought Joe. He brought his name and he said, we need to pray for Joe. He's, it's not looking good. He went into the hospital double pneumonia, a bunch of other stuff. And at some point, because of renal failure, the doctor said, you have a 5% chance to make it through this. 5% chance. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we prayed for him. However you want to factor that in, right? I believe prayer still works and it's powerful. Directly or indirectly. Directly because of Ben Jim. Indirectly through Joe. But he's here in the house of God tonight and we got a face praise God and we're thankful Joe that God touched you in a miraculous way and we're glad you're in the house of God here tonight praise God hallelujah come on clap your hands and thank the Lord together oh we thank you Jesus we thank you hallelujah hallelujah praise God praise God praise God so that's awesome man that's good news and tonight we are going to, at the conclusion of service, this message could be the worst message in the world, and it's not even going to matter, because at the conclusion of this service, we're baptizing Sister Esmeralda Stain. Praise God. <laughs> uh, this couple's been coming, and we are so glad that God's doing great things in their life. So, man, that's, that's the reason to celebrate as well tonight. <clears throat> so... That is, is awesome. I'm thankful for revival that is happening. Amen. I, I, I don't see her here tonight, but Sister Kaufman, Janelle Kaufman, came up to me today, and she said, Brother Bradford, you are talking about Spanish ministry. She said, I have some gardeners that come to my house every week, and I make sure I give them, I don't know what she said, tea or something. You can just imagine Sister Janelle going out there with her goodies. 
I mean, there's a connection there with the gardener. She said, and they don't speak much English, but she said, Do you, can, can you get me a card or something so that I can invite them to the Spanish ministry that's going to happen? I said, absolutely, Sister Janelle, we're going to do it. Amen. We're going to work on that this week, and we'll have them by Sunday, this coming Sunday. Praise God. She kind of led that charge. Amen. If you know somebody that doesn't speak English, invite them to the house of God. And I thought that was really cool. She made her way all the way from the back to find me here this morning. And she said, I love those people. She's made a connection with those people. That's what it's all about. Making connections with people. I guarantee you those gardeners can't wait to get to the Coffin's house. What you coming out with? She's coming out with cinnamon rolls or cookies or what is it today? She doesn't miss. Well, what they don't know is she's going to show up with an invitation to church. I said, Sister Coffin, they're going to come. I believe they're going to come. They're going to show up. So that's awesome. Man, it's just good stuff. I mean, in the middle of August, we get rain. We don't ever get rain in August. I've been here since 1992, and I don't think we've ever gotten rain in August, but we got rain in August. My uncle and aunt are here from North Dakota, and my aunt said, I'm ready to go home. Hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes. And I appreciate my uncle and aunt. This is Jim and Debbie Pearson. You know my older uncle, Gilbert Pearson. Uh, this is my, he's the younger brother. His name is Jim. They look the same. <clears throat> funny, funny story. And if you'd ever met my grandfather, they all look the same. And so, <laughs> we were working in a store called Piggly Wiggly. It's a grocery store called Piggly Wiggly. And... Jim and I would work in Piggly Wiggly, but there came a day, a night, where my grandfather came in. He came in to pick something up, some buffer pads. I don't remember what it was. And there was a guy that worked produce, and he was always carrying on conversation. And he was stalking the apples when my grandfather walked through. And so he's stalking, and he looks over like this, and my grandfather walked by, and he stopped, and he looked. Then later he came, found one of his, said, hey, he said, hey, who, who was that guy that walked by? So oh, that's my grandfather. He said, man, he said, I thought Jim had a bad day. No, that's Jim's father, but praise God. I appreciate them very, very much. They came all the way out here to be a support and strength to my mom, and they've had a ball. They've traveled to Pismo. They went all the way down to San Diego, met with Peyton and London to have dinner, and then they came all the way back. They're going to Santa Barbara to look at some places in Santa Barbara, and they have just been a huge blessing to my mom and to us, and they'll be here a few days, and they're going back, but I love them very, very much. We appreciate them so very, very much. Amen. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 8. 1 Peter chapter 5, we'll look at verse number 8. It's very short, and it's a powerful scripture that you will recognize, but we will use this to launch our lesson here tonight. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. I want to use that verse to uh, launch into a discussion here tonight on this subject. Watch my back. Praise God. Nudge your neighbor there and say, hey, watch my back. <clears throat> watch my back. Amen. And the sermon title is kind of this is kind of interesting because it shows a clock. You can nudge your neighbor on the other side and say, cover my six. Cover your six is the same thing as watch your back. That's more of a military term, but watch my six, cover my six is cover my back. Amen. Praise God. I'm thankful for the people of God. I want people on my side, not people against me. I want people with me. 
Amen. And tonight I want to preach, watch my back. Praise God. Lord, we thank you and worship you. We ask that you would direct us tonight from your word. Strengthen us and encourage us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, Ken. Be seated. If you're looking for elements of a successful Christian life, you could ask some people who have lived for God for a long period of time, and they would give you some instruction about what makes them successful. I was very, very pleased this morning. It happens every so often. We were singing a hymn this morning, and Brother Powell stepped out into the aisle and started walking. And so this morning, instead of running the aisles, we walked the aisles. That was powerful. That was why. Because walking is good, but was also an elder that stepped out in faith. And there is an example that is exemplified in the life of people who have gone through a lot of struggles and difficulties. And God has been faithful and true to them. We need to thank God for our elders right now for the example that they bring, the strength they bring, consistency they bring. May not be able to run and jump and do all that kind of stuff, but they can still walk, and I'm thankful for that. So keep walking. Amen. So if you were looking for finding elements of a successful Christian life, you could talk to an elder in Peter as he is writing his epistles in 1 Peter here, specifically 1 Peter. He is speaking from the vantage point as an elder. He's not speaking from the vantage point as leading this new church and preaching on the streets and the expansion of it. But now he's he's a little older and so he's sitting down with pen and he is writing with a little more cognizance of where he is and he's not so rash, but now he's filled with a lot of wisdom. And so you can find in First Peter some elements to a successful Christian life. And he points out several non-negotiable elements like faith, he talks about that. He talks of self-control or temperance. And there are three areas that he talks about in terms of living for God that need to be important in our life. The first one that he talks about is the necessity of being holy. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 8, he says, Whom having not seen you love, and whom though now you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Those words come from the Apostle Peter. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. He's talking about salvation and the power of salvation. The salvation of your souls that was long anticipated. The prophets spoke of it. The angels yearned for a glimpse of it. The Holy Ghost ignites men to preach it. And after a list like that, you would think there would be a great celebration. But in verse 13, Peter said, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. This is a word that he uses often in 1 Peter. Be sober. Self-control keeps a new birth message from burning out too quickly and from getting stale. I'm thankful for the ability that God gives to us to save individuals. A message that we can preach. And Peter went on to say, be sober as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. What is self-control doing? Self-control is guarding a treasure because it produces a jewel called holiness. A new birth experience is protecting and producing a treasure called holiness and Peter said it is one of the non-negotiable things that you need in terms of living your life for God you gotta be holy you've gotta be righteous you've gotta strive for something that is greater that is in this world hallelujah it won't be the last time but let's clap our hands unto the Lord hallelujah thank you Lord thank you Lord he said you need to be holy and then he said, number two, the end is near. First Peter chapter four and verse number seven. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober 
and watch unto prayer. Sober, sober. He's talking about a mentality of being resolute and persevering through things, having control when everybody is out of control, being in control. And so holiness is something that is important. And then he said the end is near. God's time is nowhere near our time. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. The day of the Lord is going to come with fervent heat, blazing fire, cataclysmic changes. How do we prepare for that day? We stare at it in the face of calamity very calmly with soberness, and we say we're going to live our life with that expectation that it could be any moment at any time. I'm not playing around when it comes to living for God. I'm giving God everything that I've got because I believe it could happen at any moment that he is going to return. I'm not bargaining with God saying give me some more time. I'm living for God now. I'm living for God in the moment. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. So he says what we do is we, we are sober. We watch into prayer. We pray. We don't panic. We don't flail about. We don't sulk, bolt, or scream. When trouble comes, we pray. We pray like Daniel. You can take everything from me, but you are not going to take away my relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm not falling off the wagon. I am riding straight into the calamity because I know coming out of the calamity is the return of Jesus Christ our Lord. When the world gets bad, it's closer to the coming of the Lord. When confusion reigns, there is one that is coming. And I'm looking at that coming. I'm not fearful of it, but I'm saying, come, Lord Jesus. Paul said, Peter said, this is a, a non-negotiable. And then he said, the enemy prowls. We need to be holy. We need to pray. And we also need to recognize that there is an enemy that prowls. This is what we read in our text. The adversary is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Resist steadfast in the faith. What Peter is saying is never turn your back because there's always a predator that is trying to destroy you and kill you. Praise God. There is an enemy of the flesh. There is an accuser of the brethren. There is a dragon. There is a serpent. There's a lot of different ways of describing him. Any opposition to the kingdom of God and the forward movement that God is trying to achieve in your life, that is the one that is trying to throw up all kinds of obstacles in your way. And so you cannot turn your back on the enemy because he is looking for your weakness. Every single one of us here in the house of God tonight, we all have weaknesses and we know our weaknesses more than anybody else. Sometimes our weakness becomes public things that other people see, and we would rather that not be the case, and we've all got skeletons that we would love to keep in the closet. I'm just coming to you tonight to tell you that there's an enemy that would love to leverage your weaknesses against you, but I'm here to say tonight that there is one that is greater than your failures, greater than your weaknesses, and the reason you are in this house tonight is because God has proven himself to be greater than the enemy of your soul. Praise God. You need to thank God that there was a greater power, a greater ability that was walking with you through that trial. It should have taken you out. He should have assassinated you, but you're still in the house of God tonight because of God's goodness. Hallelujah. That's right. That's a former drug addict that God turned his life around. Now he's on the streets inviting people to the house of God. Thank God for God's goodness and his greatness. Hallelujah. Anybody got a testimony here tonight? Praise God. God was greater. God was greater. He redeemed me from the hand of the enemy. Praise God. You can't turn your back. In the animal world, this is known as a sign of weakness. 
I saw a short Instagram clip of a guy that was out hiking with his dog and a bear charged him. And he had his camera out, so all you see is the bear coming and you see here, and all you hear is him screaming. It is an out of this world kind of noise that he was making as the predator was coming against him. You don't turn your back on a predator. <laughs> They'll chase you down. And fortunately for this guy, the bear turned around and went another way. One of the greatest, greatest stories of all time when it comes to Brother Brock, and if, if you get an opportunity to hear him tell this story, it is absolutely hilarious, is when he was doing pest control and he was in a yard that was very large and he was up against the fence and a dog kept pounding on the fence as he was spraying and eventually broke through the fence. And his response to that, he realized it's way too far to run, so I can't run. I turn my back, I'm toast. And so he did all kinds of stuff to scare the dog. You can't turn your back on the enemy. Predators will try to outflank. Very seldom do they attack from a frontal position. So I must be on constant guard. I've got to watch. I've got to be on guard. I've got to make sure that I am staying frontal to the enemy. But I have a weak side. There is a back side that is a weakness because I can't see. I can't view. And so I have to be on constant guard. This is what is meant by cover my six in the military. Charging into an unknown thing. Cover my back. I've got a blind side. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 23 encourages all of us to help each other. It says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I need somebody to cover my, my back if we're going into battle and we are in a fight and there is a predator. I want somebody praying for me. I want somebody worshiping with me. I want somebody in the kingdom with me. The devil's coming. The enemy's coming. The predator's coming, but there needs to be somebody that steps up and says, hey, brother, I've got your six. I've got your back. I know that there is an enemy that would love to kill you, but I'm standing in the gap for you. I'm praying for you. <laughs> Hallelujah. We need to thank God for brothers and sisters in the house of God. Amen. Willing to be and fight and be on our side. Praise God. John tries to help us see. That even though there are those that try to protect and guard, they, even they, can't really see the weakness that is in my life because many times I keep that weakness and I keep that to myself. John in Revelation chapter number 12, he describes this battle and this difficulty. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold a great red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns upon his heads and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. And he did cast them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. He's describing this conflict. He's going back and he's using numerology to describe the 12 tribes of Israel. That also could be the 12 disciples. He's looking at a woman that is giving birth, whether that was Jesus or whether that was the birth of the church. The dragon was there trying his very best to devour her child as soon as it was born. Anytime God is going to birth something in you, there is a dragon and an enemy that will try to abort that process. I want to be used of God. There's an enemy that will try to silence that. But I want to challenge you here tonight. If God births something into you, you need to hang on to that promise and say there is no dragon from hell that is going to keep me from the promise and the purpose of God. I am blessed with his goodness and his anointing. I'm not walking away from his goodness no matter what dragon comes, no matter what serpent comes my way. I'm going to trust God. Hallelujah. I hope you can feel faith in the house of God tonight. Amen. I'm trying to help you. The kingdom must advance, but the enemy tries to exploit and devour.
And so he looks for weaknesses, the weak spot or the blind spot. Eve, he looked for a weak spot. Samson, he looked for a weak spot in Samson's life. Saul, he looked for a weak spot. Eve, it was a determination and a deception. Samson, it was looking to the world and more particularly the women of the world instead of staying within the confines of his covenant relationships. Saul, it was power. Lot had his eyes toward the world. Judas tried to force the hand of Jesus. Ananias and Sapphira, they tried to lie about the money that they gave. The enemy is always trying to find a weak spot. And he tries to find that area. And so the point here tonight is who is covering the weak spot? Who is watching my back? Praise God. Who's going to stand in the gap when things are difficult and the storm is, is raging? Who's going to be there in the midst of that? Praise God. I want to come to you tonight and tell you there is no one greater than Jesus. For he is the author and the finisher of your faith. You may feel tonight that you're walking through hell or a valley of dry bones there may be no telling where you feel like you are tonight. But I want you to know that there is a God that is faithful and he's true. And he'll walk with you and he'll watch your back. He's got your six. He'll cover the blind side. Praise God. There was a book by Michael Lewis that I read in 2007, I believe. Part of the inspiration for this message is a revisitation of the book because the principal character in the book is filing a lawsuit. <clears throat> the name of the book was The Blind Side by Michael Lewis. It was the personal story of Michael Orr. Michael Orr was one of 13 children by a mother addicted to crack. He didn't know his real name, his father, his birthday, or how to read and write. But he took up in school football, and an evangelical family plucked him off the streets. The present lawsuit is that they said that he was adopted. And he claims he was not adopted, but it was a conservatorship, which allowed them to do business transactions on his behalf because of the conservatorship and that he was not adopted. And this comes into play because later, after he went to the NFL and was very successful in the NFL, Hollywood picked up the story and the book and they made a movie out of it and it garnered, I don't know, $300 million. And so now he's filing a lawsuit against the family because he is stating that he should have received more of the proceeds from the production of the movie. That's really, really sad because there was a great story that was connected and now it is somewhat tainted because of this present lawsuit. It's a great, great personal interest story. It's very inspiring. But more than just the story, it's about the evolution of the game of football. Football, in its early beginnings, disdained throwing the ball. It was about running the ball. That's not a lot of fun. It's pretty dull, and it doesn't give you a lot of great returns. You huddle up around the ball, and you run into the other team, and you try to push the ball forward, and you may gain <clears throat> yardage, but it's not much yardage. And so you get back up, and you do that over and over and over, and then the other team does it over and over and over. And that's what football was in its beginnings. However, there became a new period in football that discovered that you could move the ball forward and advance it by passing the ball. And this produced some great quarterbacks with great arms. But this changed in the evolution of the game with the body shape of a 6'4", 240-pound defensive end that could run a 40-yard dash in 4.5 seconds. Think of Ernie Rosales that fast. And that's what it would be like. So a quarterback dropping... A quarterback dropping back to pass, he does, now he doesn't have a whole lot of time because he has an imminent threat coming from a defensive end that is that big and can run that fast. And so quarterbacks were getting crushed, and they were intimidated, and they were fearful because they would drop back, and their back is turned, and there is that guy that is coming. And so this disrupted the game. 
There was a coach by the name of Bill Walsh, and he actually coached up in the San Francisco area for the San Francisco 49ers. And he started to develop a plan to combat the weak side by timing and separating the field. He developed short passes, very, very quick. So you would snap the ball or you would hike the ball, and the passes would happen so fast, and they would come from different angles <clears throat> and different ways. And this was an attempt to slow down the speed of the defensive end that would come in so fast. And when you're coming in that fast and you're that big and you get hit from the back, some of these hits were devastating. Some of them were so devastating, so devastating that a quarterback would completely be taken out of the game. It would get into his head. It was a mentality because it hit him so fast and so furious. It was very hard just to jump back up as if nothing ever happened. I want to say here tonight that there are some times in life when the enemy hits you that hard and it's so devastating that it feels like you have been crushed from the ground up and you get nervous and apprehensive and you don't know where to turn or what to do. I want to preach to you tonight that there is some body that is watching your back. There is a solution to that. There is a way around that. And so as this game evolved, even that, that fast passing thing, did not slow down the speed of the assault off the weak side. And so the value of a quarterback demanded that somebody protect them, somebody to counter the speed, the size, the agility of that defensive end. And so Michael Orr represented one of the epitomes of a guy that was 350 pounds in high school with a 50-inch waist and a 32-inch inseam. And he was the fastest guy on the football team. He became the type of individual that everybody was looking for. Somebody to stop the assault on the blind side. The quarterback could drop back. I don't have to worry because I know who's over there and who's over there is going to protect me so that I can do what I need to do. I see something in this passage of scripture that we have read and this illustration from a book that has to do with a game. That in living for God, in our walk with God, knowing that there is a weakness and there is a blind side and our back is to the enemy sometimes and the predator comes trying to find out our weakness. I know that that is a weak side, but I'm thankful to tell you this. There is a God that's standing in the gap over there that's looking out for the weak side. And when the enemy comes in, there's an answer to that so that God can propel me forward into the kingdom of God. You know what you need? You need to stop worrying about the weakness in your life and the failure in your life, and you need to put God on it. Praise God, the enemy is coming, but there is one that is greater than the enemy. Praise God, you are of value. You're trying to move things forward, but you keep getting crushed on the weak side, wondering whether or not limbs are attached after it's over. You're intimidated, and you're fearful, and you're anxious, and you have quick feet. You have happy feet. The assault is ferocious, so much that it can keep you up at night, or you have nightmares. Who's covering the weak side? Moses said, I don't know how I'm supposed to go back into Pharaoh's court and tell him, God, that you, you want to lead your people out of slavery and bondage. Who am I? I'm not eloquent enough. When I step into the courtyard, what, who, what credentials do I have? Who, who am I? And in Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 11, Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, God said, certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? And what shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. That may seem strange. That's not a name. That's not a personal name. But there is something that is wrapped up in that burning bush and the voice that spoke from 
from the burning bush that said, Moses, when you step into Pharaoh's courtyard, you tell him the I am that I am hath sent me. He may say, who is that? But he'll find out soon enough. I'm a God that is going to walk with you. I'm a God that's going to face him down in the midst of every adversity. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. You got someone that's over there. Who is he? He's the Alpha and he's the Omega. He is bigger than all my problems. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 9, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When you feel weak and you feel like you just barely dragged yourself here to the house of God tonight, I want to preach to you. You need to put somebody on the weak side. And the one that you need to put on the weak side is Jesus Christ, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Paul said, I've got a weakness, but I know who's covering the weakness. Therefore, I'll glory in persecution. I may have reproaches, but I'm still going to glory in that because Jesus is walking with me. Jesus is covering the weakness. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse number 19 said, When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against him. The enemy's coming. Who's covering the weak side? Zechariah chapter 4 verse 12. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. You know who's covering the weak side? The Holy Ghost is covering the weak side. When you got a difficulty, an addiction, and a problem, the only thing that's going to give you the ability to rise above that weakness is the power of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God that is in you, that is greater than anything external to you. That's what's covering the weak side. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be intimidated. You don't have to fear because there is a God that's covering the weak side. So therefore, It's a good question we should ask here tonight. Who's over there? Who's covering the weak side? It's no wonder you're getting clobbered because you have indecision over there. Musicians, you can come. The reason you're getting clobbered is because doubt is over there. I'm trying to do what I need to do and live for God, but if you got doubt over there covering the weak side, you're going to get plastered. If frustration is over there, it's not going to be a good thing. You're not going to move the ball forward. You're going to get sacked. If carnality is over on the weak side, it's not going to be good. If envy and jealousy is on the weak side, if you've got someone over there and what's over there is bitterness, It's not progressively going to move things forward. It's going to go backwards. You got to get Jesus over there. You got to get the Holy Ghost and power over there. You got to get the word over there. You need the advocate over there. You need peace over there. You need joy over there to protect the weakness that will try to come in and destroy you. That there is one that is more powerful, that is greater. He's the author. He's the finisher. He's the beginning. And he is the end. And he's everything in between. His name is Jesus. He is the I am that spoke to Moses from the burning bush. He's the I am that I am that looked and said to those that questioned his identity. He said before Abraham was I am. There is a power in Calvary. There is a power in the blood of Jesus Christ that washes and cleanses every failure. I don't want something that's insignificant covering me over there. I want something that is tested and that is true and that is tried. You can't have some weakling that's over there on that side trying to cover the weaknesses and the failures. You need something more powerful. Praise God. One of the stories in the book (laughs) that is just like, I mean, it's one of those out loud laughable moments. It was a preseason game. 
and there was a 6'2", 220-pound defensive end that thought Michael Orr was fat. And so every play, he was talking. He was telling Michael Orr a bunch of fat jokes during the game. Uh-huh, he said. The only place for you to go from here is the tuba section of the band. The first quarter was sweeps and misdirection plays until the coach called a running play to Michael Orr's side. And by this time, he was so fed up with the enemy, yapping, 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 that when the play was called and the ball was snapped, he grabbed the opponent underneath the pads. He picked him up. He ran straight down the field 15 yards. He took a left and moved straight for the opposing team's bench about 25 yards. He ran through the bench area, over the track that circled the field, and he disappeared at the fence. The referees were yelling. The coach asked if the whistle blew because why was he still doing that? There was a lot of confusion. Orr was always been taught when the whistle blows, you stop. And in this time, he didn't stop. He moved a 220-pound guy 60 yards in seconds. Coach asked Michael, where were you taking him? Michael said, I was going to put him on the bus. Sure enough, there was a bus on the other side of the fence. He said, I was tired of him talking. It was time for him to go home. I feel that way about the adversary sometimes. It's always in the ear. You're a failure. You made too many mistakes. You're insecure, and there's a reason why. You shouldn't have any confidence. Who do you think you are? He's always yapping, yapping, yapping. But you know, there comes a time when God does things in your life that you say, you know what, there's something over there covering the weakness. It's time for the enemy to go home. Leave me alone. I rebuke the devourer in Jesus' name. I'm putting a God that is greater on my weakness. Woo! Praise God. Put Jesus on it. Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 12 says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence, and the violent taketh it by force. As we stand together in the house of God tonight. Amen. I want to extend an invitation to you. I want you to just hold on just for a minute. We, we always, it's, it's, it's a culture that we are building that we come to the front. Praise God. But I want you just for just a minute, hold on, right, right where you are. If you're, and, and think about this for a minute. Every single one of us in this building, we have a weak side. Sometimes we're in denial about it. And sometimes we try to hide it because we don't want anybody else to know what we're struggling or what we're facing or what we're going through. Can I get a witness? Sometimes human nature always wants to put the best foot forward. We don't want to show anybody our weaknesses. That's not the case in the house of God. See, this is a side note, but one of the reasons why we're creating a culture of everybody just moving and coming to the front is because we don't ever want it to be a culture where somebody comes to the front and everybody else looks at them and thinks they've got a problem. They may not have a problem at all. They're just trying to get close to Jesus. But in our minds, we create this mentality that somehow they must be struggling because they went to the front. No, we're all coming to the front because we all recognize we're all in need of a savior. Praise God, we're all in need of a Savior. I want you to think just for a few moments before we step into this front. I want you to ask yourself, what is, what is my blind side? What is my weakness? What is the enemy trying to leverage against me? Who's covering the weak side? We need to step out with our weakness and we need to walk to the front and we need to lift our hands and say, Jesus, cover the weak side. I know the enemy's coming. I know there's a struggle and I know there's a battle and I know there's a difficulty, but I want you to, by your power and by your authority and by your goodness, I want you to cover my mistakes and my problems. Some of you should have already been down here because you're in the middle of some of those things. Praise God. God knows exactly where you are tonight. God, I said God knows where you are tonight. You need to open, you need to open your spirit.
God, reach out where it's appropriate. Somebody that's praying. Come on, no, no spectators. No spectators here tonight. 
Praise God. Come on, reach out to somebody and start praying with them in the Holy Ghost right now. Hallelujah. God knows this is one of the most difficult battles that we face. Our failures, our shortcomings, our weaknesses. Praise God. But there's a God that is greater. Hallelujah. Come on, agree with somebody in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I'll watch your six. I got your six. I got your back. I'll watch your back. Praise God. Come on, the Holy Ghost is in this place. We thank you, Lord. We worship you. Come on, let the Holy Ghost minister tonight. All over this building, God's doing a work in this place. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, yes, yes. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God, praise God, praise Let's not move too fast past this. God, come on, pray until you feel strength coming. Hallelujah. Put the Holy Ghost, let the Spirit of God be a strength. Let there be an uplifting. <laughs> let there be an encouraging.
send him home on the bus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You're greater, you're greater. you're hearing. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, we're going to baptize Esmeralda. If you're connected to her in some way, shape, or form, you're welcome to come.
Sometimes people come to this particular place of baptism and you hope that there's been enough Bible study and understanding that it's not just a church tradition. We don't believe it's a church tradition. We believe it's part of a new birth experience. It's a transforming thing. You don't want to move too fast because if you move too fast through repentance, baptism doesn't have the power that it should have. And I can tell you emphatically with what I'm feeling right now that it's not the case that this is just being passed over quickly, but she is coming tonight with a recognition of what baptism is, what it means, the power of Calvary, the name of Jesus that applies the blood to her life. Praise God. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you and praise you and worship you and thank you for a depth that I feel right now that we all have the ability to participate in because of a heart that is truly, truly wanting to draw close to you. Praise God. We ask that you would direct every step that she takes. I pray that you'd bless her home, her family, her children. Amen. Her future. We acknowledge you. We thank you. And we speak your name and faith over her life. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. What do you say when she comes up out of this water? We're all going to lift our hands. And let's remember when we were baptized and let's have the same response. Uplifted hands of thanksgiving and thanks and goodness. Esmeralda Stain, we baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins.